We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think... Hello, comrades and listeners. This is Neil Bradley here on Behind the Headlines on the South Radio Network. I'm joined this week with by Joe Quinn. Hi there. And and that's it. That's it. Just ourselves this week because extenuating circumstances. Um. But we're going to make the best of it, I suppose. We will, uh, despite the fact that we're missing our our radio show hosts in arms um, on the other side of the Atlantic, we will uh, we'll do our best to keep you up to date on what's been going on. So what has been going on, Neil? Well, the, the three main topics we want to look at today, but um, it is also the end of the year so you know we'll also be looking back over the, over the whole of 2016 and the craziness that's been going on first of all with Trump's election normally his uh, becoming president would be a formality tomorrow when the electoral college in the US gets together there's been some noise in the US this week about whether or not um, they will vote as they do, usually, by convention, and vote according to what the, pop, the, the popular vote produced on the night of the election. Well, if they voted according to what the popular vote recorded on the night of the election, they wouldn't. Well, let me qualify that. You see, that. that's a problem, Neil. To qualify that by the geographic distribution of it. So, yeah, it's not as simple as you get the exact number of votes reflecting the total national uh, percentage of votes that the candidate wins. Mm-hmm. Depends on what status and so on. So, um, all things being equal, Trump will win. In fact, he'll win one of the biggest vic- margin margins in terms of electoral college votes in history. He's in the top 10, I think, if he gets the 306 that normally are just, as I said, it's a formality. The Electoral College tra- uh, transfers the votes. Um, but, you know, I, I, it's probably not going to happen, but we may, we may as well mention it at the top of the show. It is happen- it taking place tomorrow, uh, December 19th. And it was one thing now... In, during the campaign for the Democratic Party to make the most insane claim of the year, but also the most hilarious because uh, it, it says so, it says a lot about what's going on in the world that people, otherwise intelligent people in the U.S., seriously proposed that President Putin. Well, they began by saying the Russian government um, had influenced the U.S. elections in some way, and you know. That that claim 
was more or less limited to the Democratic Party, although you got the sense that the whole establishment, in quotes, was supportive of it because there was very little dissent in the mainstream media, certainly in the US, to this completely outrageous idea. Um, okay, well, that's come and gone. Trump's been elected. That should be the end of it, really. It should have died with that. But instead, it's been hammed up to a whole other level with the White House now um, having made the claim. Then various secret anonymous intelligence sources. And now this week, the actual, for the first time, the heads of the CIA, the NSA, and just yesterday, I think, the FBI have made official statements in the media saying that, yes, this actually happened. So this it's gone it's gone even we've gone even more into the twilight zone. It's gone beyond electioneering and politicking to actually they they look like they're going to hang their hat on it. Now, the, why that's an interesting question because well, are they doing that with a view to, um, as was suggested this week, swaying a minimum of thirty eight uh, electors uh, yeah. to not voting for Trump as they should do. Or, or not. You know. Well, that kind of thing, by definition, will have to happen uh, by surprise. It'll have to happen tomorrow. Uh, there's not going to be any <coughs> conf- uh, confirmation beforehand. Yeah, this is going to happen. Whatever would have to happen by definition, uh, by surprise. It may be a a December surprise, and everybody will, you know, all the snowflakes will uh, be uh, rejoicing and celebrating in the streets, and Hillary will be ushered in, and all the Trump supporters will go get their guns and have a revolution. That'll all happen immediately, you know, in the days and weeks afterwards, I suppose. But I doubt it's going to happen. I think it's a lot of uh, hubris, a lot of nonsense. And the fact that the the Clinton campaign and Clinton herself and all of the Democrats, etc., have been uh, hyping up this idea that Russia uh, interfered in the U.S. election and thereby, by definition, um, caused Trump to win and Hillary to lose is complete and utter Nonsense, obviously. Uh, all sane, rational minds have been saying that it is complete and utter nonsense. Uh, the CIA has no evidence, the FBI has no evidence uh, that any direct, um, first of all, that any direct hacking by the Russian government actually happened. And second, obviously, even if they did have such evidence, which they don't, uh, there would be no way for them to prove that it had any significant or definite uh, influence on the result of the election. So it's all complete and utter nonsense, no matter what way you look at it. But they don't care, apparently, and they're willing to keep, uh, you know, shouting about it. The media is fully, fully on board, the CIA, the FBI, the Democrats, and all the snowflakes and, and liberal types are all uh, fully on it. You know, not my president. Uh, it's been hacked, and, you know, but Trump's going to become president anyway. But what's interesting to me is that these people just, uh, you know, the media talks about, uh, and the government has been talking about fake news uh, and how we have to clamp down on fake news. Facebook is now going to, uh, with the help of George Soros, is going to develop an algorithm uh, that's going to root out fake news on Facebook so they can decide what's fake and what's real. But, uh, well, if you want some fake news, just go and look at what has been happening in the New York Times and the and the Washington Post, and on CNN, and uh, most media outlets in the US and in Europe, actually, uh, over the past number of uh, weeks and months, 
Uh, you'll see perfect examples of fake news. And this is one perfect example of fake news, of complete and utter nonsense, where uh, the Washington Post and the New York Times all are carrying major, uh, major stories in their papers saying that Russia hacked the elections and got Trump involved. Sorry, got Trump elected. <clears throat> when that's complete and utter nonsense, as I said, they have no evidence for it. And if you look at the details, look at these articles, go and read an article uh, that makes this claim that Russia hacked the elections. How do you hack an election? I don't know. Obviously, they're detailed. So you might, you might wonder, how do you hack an election? How do you, how do you hack a presidential election exactly in, in such a way that you actually get one candidate who, sh- who would not normally have been or would not otherwise have been elected? How do you get him or her elected? How do you hack an election? When You, you have to read the articles to find out uh, how you do that. Uh, as, as according to these, uh, the Hillary Camp and the and the media, and you also then have to look at the articles to find out what their evidence is that that actually happened. Um, I think this one's from the New York Times. Uh, no, yes, I think it's New York Times. Yeah. Um, so the title is, you know, some. I don't know what the title is actually, but anyway, the first part, uh, paragraph is: American spy and law enforcement agencies were united in the belief in the weeks before the presidential election, that the Russian government had deployed computer hackers to sow chaos during the campaign. But they had conflicting views about the specific goals of the subterfuge. So, they believe, no evidence, mm-hmm. united in their belief, just like they were on Iraqi uh, weapons of mass destruction, they, were united, they are now united in their belief that the Russian government deployed hackers to sow chaos. Uh, okay, what was what was the the goal was? What do you what do you achieve by sowing chaos? Not too sure. Could go either way. When you sow chaos, you don't know what's going to happen, right? Surely, if you're going to hack something and and be very specific, then it's not about chaos. It's about achieving a very specific outcome. I mean, you can't know exactly what's going to come. It's a risky business to sow chaos and then expect that something specific is going to come out of that. I'm, anyway, I'm no techie, but a computer hacker sows computer viruses, right? Hmm. Is that the level they're talking about? No, because they never explain. Because no, well, they say hack- hacker is that a very te- technical term? Or- yeah, well, I mean, when they talk about hacker, they talk specifically about them hacking the. I mean, this is the point. That, uh, uh, kind of getting to that. Um, the next paragraph is: Last week, the CIA uh, officials presented lawmakers with a stunning new judgment that upended the debate. Russia, they said, had intervened with the primary aim of helping. Make Donald J. Trump president. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Very bad. You're not allowed to make Donald J. Trump president. So anyway. <laughs> the next line. The CIA's conclusion does not appear to be the product of specific new intelligence. It's the product of them just saying the same thing they've been saying all along. The same vague thing they've been saying all along. But this warrants... A new article, a new headline, a new uh, spate of articles across the mainstream media. Not the product of new specific intelligence, but just the product of us thinking again about the stuff that we said before and feeling the urge to say it to you again and have the media repeat it around the the entire planet. Uh, Rather, it it, it was an analysis of what many believe can believe is overwhelming circumstantial evidence. How can you have overwhelming circumstantial evidence? Very interesting. That the Russians put a thumb on the scale. 
See, this is the kind of thing you're reading, and this is, I mean, all of it's, it's telling you a little story. Mm. It's like a fairy story, you know. It's, it's using analogies and our, our metaphors and, um, you know, a lot of belief and we think and possibly and maybe it's like, I mean, you could probably take this text and remove Russian hackers and uh, put, uh, you know, Saddam's weapons of mass destruction. You get pretty much the exact same articles that were being uh, spread around in 2003. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. Uh, there's nothing much in these articles when you actually read them, but they hope that you just read the headline, which is Russia hacked. Russia hacked emails that led to Trump getting uh, elected president. Um, of course, Trump, uh, in response to the, these allegations, which are, again, ridiculous, uh, is, is doing the right thing by just uh, bringing them down with one specific response, which mm, is... I saw that. 2000, these are the people who brought us Saddam's WMDs in 2003. Yeah. Why would you believe these people? Which And that's the end of the story. End of story, really. I mean... Uh, but it's just interesting to analyze the media and the way the way they try to convince themselves and um, uh, you know the world that this is really true when they have no evidence for it whatsoever except their own belief. I really want to believe, you know. And of course, when they when they follow it up with, there is a loud chorus of bipartisan voices, and get this, including Senator John McCain who are going public to accuse the Russians of election interference. Now, I mean, there you go. When you have to pull out Senator John, K John McCain as your Trump man, uh, as evidence, because he says Russia did it, then that means Russia did it when he is the biggest kind of anti-Russian shill ever. Well, then, you know, you're, uh, you've got a pretty pretty weak argument going on there. Um, <laughs> it's... Uh, this is, and there's another guy here. Um, the top Democrat... In the House Intelligence Committee, of course. Yes, the House Intelligence Intelligence Committee. Uh, this is Adam B. Schiff uh, of California, the, um, Democrat from California, said that the public evidence alone made it clear that Moscow had intervened to help the most ostentatiously pro-Russian candidate in history. Right? That's what he said. Now, that's all. That's, 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 that, if you're, the, the article doesn't go on to cite what he means by public evidence, and for a very good reason, because his public evidence has already been given in that paragraph. I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you again. The public evidence alone made it clear that Moscow had intervened to help the most ostentatiously pro-Russian candidate in history. Where's the, where's the public evidence? It's self-evident from that paragraph. That's all he needs to say. That's self-evident that, that Russia did it. That's all you need to say. The reason is that because Trump, according to him, and there is some evidence, small bits of evidence, is pro-Russian, therefore, by definition or ipso facto, the Russians hacked. The Russians were behind the hacking of the emails that tarnished Clinton's image and helped Trump to get in. Mm -hmm. So it's like... Um, that, that's the extent of his evidence, is the fact that because Russia has an opinion on something, i.e. Russia, the Russian government, appeared to favor Trump mildly uh, in, in terms of what they actually said uh, over Hillary. That means that in itself is evidence that Russia hacked. Russia must therefore have hacked these emails. Mm -hmm. 
So by by implication, you could say that, for example, if Russia, if like this guy uh, uh, Schiff, uh, Adam Schiff, the uh, the top Democrat in the House Intelligence Committee, if you know if there's a football game in America and uh, he is supporting one team and he wants it to win, but Putin likes the other team and that other team wins. By definition, Putin somehow helped that team to win because Putin favoured that team and also because it was my team that lost. That team beat my team. So I'm very annoyed uh, annoyed about the situation. Mm. And the emotional... My my my, my emotional... Uh, my emotions, my my, energy, my emotional energy and my annoyance and my frustration at the fact that I did not win, that something did not go the way I wanted it to go, also allows me to believe quite strongly, because I want to, uh, that what I what didn't happen, that I wanted to happen, didn't happen, because my chosen enemy made it not happen. There is no other possible reality. Yeah. Um. It, it, it's it's very it's 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 so revealing because um, for all the noise they've made since the attempted takeover of Ukraine, well, the successful takeover of Ukraine and Russia's response in Crimea, they've had to downplay the extent to which Russia under Putin is powerful. But all of this is just underlining. Their, their fear of or the reality of how much power he has or the Russian government has yeah, to influence world events. Yeah, it's them reeling against... Uh, it's, them, it's them losing the plot in, in the sense of... And, I mean, we've talked about this before, uh, how the US has, has reigned kind of supreme in international politics uh, for quite a long time, and it's the... My way or the highway. They've been. They've got very used to um, operating under a my way or the highway <coughs> uh, kind of a routine, or operating under that premise in international affairs, where they basically pass out the dictates, pass out the orders, and other people uh, simply say, "Okay, yes, no problem. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir." Or if they need to, they can put a bit of pressure on, but they always get their way one, one way or another. Uh, and that's interpersonally with discussions and also obviously then in, in terms of what actually happens on the international stage. Uh, and the fact that Russia over the past few years has stood up and been the first in person in that history of the US having their own way all the time, stood up and said, no, you're not allowed to have your own way. We disagree. And not only do we disagree, but you're not going to be able to force us to accept your way. We're going to hold to our position and we have the means to hold to our position and stop you from enforcing your position. I mean, it's been about two years since that really came on, on, on stream or online in terms of the, the global picture and, how, and, out, and in particular, the general public, particularly in Western countries, uh, but also around the world, understanding that and seeing that uh, the U.S. to a certain extent is a bit of a paper tiger when it comes to certain things with Russia that it doesn't it doesn't have its uh, its own way all the time and it has taken a fall from grace in a lot of people's eyes and that's the one thing that just really bugs them so much. Uh, it, it's one thing if they can if it all could happen under cover of uh, you know 
diplomacy and, and uh, behind behind closed doors, but the fact that it's in public, that everybody can see it, really pisses these people off. And it's a reality that they haven't lived in. Most of the people commenting on it in terms of politicians and who are involved in it and reacting to it have not lived in any other uh, global environment or under any other global conditions uh, other than the US having its way all the time. So they simply do not know how to cooperate. Uh, now they're being forced to cooperate and uh, they can't do it and they're getting very frustrated. It's a kind of reality that's quite shocking to them. They don't understand uh, what that reality is, why it came and they're, you know, they're, they're throwing tantrums basically. They're getting very frustrated and, uh, and you've seen, we've seen some, quite a few tantrums that, and, you know, tantrums tend to involve uh, kind of very uh, outrageous, uh, nonsensical and, um, you know, frankly, just silly comments from the person who's throwing the tantrum. They make all sorts of exaggerated uh, statements and accusations and stuff that just make them look bad. Mm-hmm. Everybody says, well, maybe you should just go and calm down and take a back seat or take a moment for yourself and relax a little bit, you know. So that we've seen that from them, but we've also seen the way it's been diverted into um, an attempt to to use all sorts of under, develop all sorts of underhanded and devious uh, methods to to get around uh, uh, the Russian kind of blockade of American, uh, the American dipl- diplomatic imperative, effectively to, to 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 subvert that and to screw over, effectively screw over Russia and anybody else who is standing or anybody else who has been emboldened uh, by this Russian stance and stance in that the people who have been emboldened by that, obviously, uh, particularly in the Middle East, or have been. Uh, Iran and China further further east. Um, not many, well, a few others, Philippines maybe. There's a bit of a contagion there spreading, you know, and that's one thing that's very uh, scary to them as well, the fact that oh, yeah. when the one person stands up to the bully, then a lot of other people who see that the bully can be actually uh, taken down a notch or two, well, yeah, it can be a slippery slope, you know, and they're very afraid of that. I, I was thinking about this um, when I was reading about it. Uh, some some history this week. Uh, the big the big frame or narrative in the sixties was that if the U.S. didn't intervene in Vietnam and then escalate the war and then win it, then the dominoes would fall. And the full the full explanation of that frame or narrative is that if we don't stop this little country from going commie then this country next door will go comedy mm. and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And that was left as it was because it, it made some kind of sense in the overall Cold War capitalist versus commie mm-hmm. narrative. But really what it was was an identical process to what's unfolding today, an effort to contain the loss of influence in any given country. Back then it was likely to mean that the incoming uh, independent-minded government would be communist or aligned with lefties in general. Um, but today it doesn't necessarily mean that. Uh, the Philippines you mentioned uh, as one of the most outspoken. If you think Trump is anti-PC, you should look, look out for and listen to this new Philippines leader, Duterte's uh, press statements. They're hilarious. They're also pretty inflammatory in some cases, but they're also true, which is great. Um, 
just today or yesterday, I think he's he's in the news again for count, exposing and countering what's effectively a blackmail. Um, that's that's been put to his government by the U.S., which is that they're going to withhold funds for something or other to the Philippines if Duterte doesn't, you know, uh, rein in what he's attempting to do, which is basically realign his country with China and Russia and away from the U.S. And so his response to that was, well, fine, but then your troops can get out of our country, which is important to remember there are at least three military bases American military bases in the Philippines. So it's, I, I don't know how he, he's going to actually enforce that, but um, he's, he's, a, he's a refreshing kind of Trump-like frankness coming up in East Asia. And it's not the only part of the world either. Um, so some people are being emboldened to speak truth, if you like, and others are, are definitely... It's like they're having the opposite reaction. So in Britain, for example, this uh, Putin won the U.S. for for U.S. election for for Trump conspiracy theory has emboldened the British elite to say now that Brexit result in June of this year was a result of probably the result of Russian influence. Um, I don't know how many people there take that seriously, but uh, an MP got up in Parliament this week and accused the Russians and their hybrid warfare of influencing and probably making the result go the way it went, although it's completely unexplained how or why Russia would want one outcome or the other. Uh, it's just assumed that the audience will understand what he means when he says that. Um, they went a lot further, though. The British intelligence is now saying that a sustained cyber warfare and propaganda campaign from Russia is, they give a specific, is attempting to uh, spread false information in the Baltic states, which would harm the British troops stationed there. That's a very specific claim to make, but again, it's unexplained as as to what the strategy might be, what Russia's desired result is, and so on. It it sounds bonkers, but it clearly means something to them. And I guess if British troops stationed in Latvia read Sputnik, they might go, "What the hell am I doing here?" and disobey orders. I, I don't know, something like that. Um, a couple of other examples from recent weeks. Uh, there are elections in Germany coming up next year and the German government is on the same stick saying it's highly likely that Russia's going to meddle in our elections. Uh, I think I think there have been statements from the French government as well to that effect. Um, where it's, it's, it's phenomenal. It's like in, in, in their worldview, events past, present and future are controlled by Russia. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, it's, the, the the Germans also just came out recently, uh, the German government came out and said that we need, really need to do something about fake news. Suddenly it's fake news, you know what I mean? It's like, hypothetic. I mean, these people have no shame. I mean, it's extremely embarrassing for me, and this isn't the first example, there's been many other examples, but extremely embarrassing for me, uh, and I'm embarrassed here for them, 
uh, to see European governments just um, take up the refrain of the US government and repeat it as if it's their own in a very kind of pusillanimous kind of lackey type way, you know, that really exposes them. And these people are so di- divorced or detached from the ordinary people and the way ordinary people think. Maybe they're consumed with their own power and their own positions and stuff, but they seem to, they don't seem to be aware that they are, they are not invulnerable to looking like idiots in front of the, you know, the masses of, of, of people, you know? Uh, and, I mean, I'm sure they're aware that they, obviously that they can they can appear like idiots if they do something idiotic. But I suppose the problem is that they don't they don't understand what uh, what is idiotic or what appears idiotic to the ordinary person. They think that they're presenting strength by aligning themselves or, or projecting their strength by aligning themselves with uh, the U.S. U.S. policies or U.S. Uh, uh, you know talking points, basically. Um, but I think for an awful lot of people, when they see that happening. Uh, they just go, you're a bit pathetic, actually, because America's just been going on about fake news for the past two or three weeks, and now you're uh, taking that up and saying, oh, yes, fake news is very important, when fake news was never really an issue here before, and fake news is only is a term that has, is only being talked about or has come out of the uh, the situation, this nonsense about the uh, Russian hacking the the... the the U.S. presidential elections and the problem was fake news because there were fake news spread around and blah, 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 which again is just a load of nonsense because that's not really what was happening. So it's very specific to the U.S., but suddenly the German government is saying fake news is very important to us as well. Yes. Why? First of all, it's not an issue. And secondly, it's not something that has, has been a problem in Germany or that you've talked about before until you just heard it being spouted by every single American newspaper. So, and now it's, I mean... You, you present an image of yourself as someone who ha- doesn't have their own mind, doesn't have their own convictions. It's someone who simply borrows the convictions of someone else. And that is the, almost like a definition of a lack of integrity and uh, kind of sovereignty uh, and therefore real or true or good leadership. Yeah. So these people are making themselves look like a bunch of lackeys, yeah. believing that they're actually uh, making themselves appear more powerful because they are aligning themselves with America and voicing or echoing the statements or, or the policies of America. And this isn't just on fake news. It's obviously on Russia and, and everything else. All, all America has to do is take a policy stance on any one thing, and then the Europeans are, yes, we think this is very important as well. We sh- Everybody should do something about this. And it's like, everybody knows you're just repeating what America said. What's wrong with you? I mean, you're meant to be a separate individual sovereign country. And you're meant to represent people with a different language, a different culture, all that kind of stuff. But you're just echoing American politics and American culture, effectively. So, uh, you, you you don't seem like a very convincing or powerful person to me. Anyway, um, the this this uh, new development uh, for now it's a pilot scheme, beginning with Facebook. Facebook has signed up to it. So there's a group called the International Fact-Checking Network based at, I think, the Pointer Institute in Florida. Um, It's an NGO, basically, tied with a university down there in Florida. And they've set up this list of organizations. Anyone can apply to join, right? But... So far, they have about 43 in, in their preliminary list of fact-checking organizations. Some of them are big names and others I've never heard of, but the, 
it's either because they're not media outlets themselves or because they're dedicated fact-checking sites, if you like. So big names are ABC News, American ABC News, AP, Associated Press is going to be deciding what's fake and, and what's not. Um, Fact-check Ukraine. You can imagine what, what kind of stance they'll have on certain Russian topics. Um, there's one other Ukrainian one, actually. No Russians, of course. Um, Vox Ukraine, which is like Vox liberal American site, the Ukrainian branch, and that's rapidly anti-Russian. And get this, the Washington Post is going to be one of the fact-checkers. And so these these, these organizations are going to be uh, getting referrals from Facebook, either via in some automated way from, from an algorithm done by Facebook itself or on the basis of referrals by, by users. So, you know, you can flag something and it gets sent to some central database for these guys to decide whether or not it's true. If it's not true, it's the post is deleted. Mm. Um, and, the, and, the, and the producer of the post, the writer of the article that was posted, gets, um, gets um, va- uh, what do you call it? Incinerated. Incinerated. On the spot, yeah. <laughs> By a bolt of lightning from George Soros' eyes. George Soros' eyes. Yes, this is being funded by, by Soros in, in large part. He's not the only one, but um, he's, I think he's on record. Uh, his, his Open Society organization has pumped in $25 million or something into this. Mm. Um, so we have a, the beginning here of a kind of an internet police. I, I should bear in mind, this isn't the very first thing. It, during the campaign, um, it, it emerged that without making any prior announcements, Facebook had been filtering out stories on conservative topics from certain conservative sites in the US. So they've already been doing it, but now they're having a conversation about it um, after having lost the election. And I suppose they're, they're, they're formalizing. Now, there are other names on here, you know, Fact Check, Northern Ireland, Fact Check, Georgia, and then there are Polish sites. In fact, there are a whole bunch of Eastern and Central European sites. And from what I, I recognize, a couple of them as being notorious um, open society. They're basically George Soros funded, um, often English language, but also in their the native tongue news sites that his organization has created there, which basically gives a very, very slanted view of mm-hmm. Western-Russian relations, of course, and, and generally a, a completely ultra-liberal worldview. Snopes is on there. Snopes is like has been called out time and again for debunking something and then having the debunk exposed as nonsense. Um... So yeah, it's is it is it a censorship program? Well, it's all very interesting the way it's happening. You know, where I mean, it's 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 burgeoning uh, censorship essentially a totalitarian kind of censorship where the people will be uh, safeguarded against uh, bad information or wrong information in order to protect them and protect your democracy and protect all of your rights that that are very important to you and that you yourself are not able to. Uh, determine what you know whether or not one thing is is true or false, 
uh, I mean that that has always been that idea has always had a there's been a backlash against that idea, but now it's been presented in terms of a high level uh, Russian government kind of because the Russians have also been uh, accused or the primary culprit supposedly of fake news. It's centered around them along with the hacking of the presidential election. So, and the, both of them are interlinked. So. It's been presented in the context of this is something that is not just not just about the government trying to tell you what is true and what is false or what you should and shouldn't believe, but it's about we must do that, not only in your own interest, but more importantly, the justification is in the interest of safeguarding democracy. So it's the politicians themselves have a supposed to have a vested interest or have been given a, a reason to have a vested interest in controlling what type of information is available <clears throat> to the public and essentially censoring and banning certain viewpoints by labeling them fake news because they're a threat to democracy because they come from Russia, which, as everybody knows, is a threat to democracy. Uh, we have um, a caller on the line here. Okay. Hey, caller. Hey, how you how's doing? it going, guys? Brent it's from New York. Brent from New York. How you doing? Hi, Brent. Good. I just had a quick comment. Um, I didn't hear you guys mention it, but I noticed one story um, about the source of some of these hacks that happened during the election. There's this guy from Georgia. He's the Secretary of State. Uh, his name's Brian Kemp, and he's confirmed that attacks against his agency, his agency's network over the last ten months, all came from a Department of Homeland Security internet address. And when he kind of contacted DHS to find out, you know, why are they probing their agency's firewalls for vulnerabilities, um, the story kept changing. At first, it was a contractor, and then it was, um, you know, an employee in Corpus Christi. And um, basically, they can't get a straight answer from DHS. And, so who is this uh, guy, Matt, Brent? His name's Brian Kemp. He's the Secretary of State uh, of Georgia. Okay. And his office was being kind yeah, of Yeah, he's probed. in charge. So, yeah, his, his, his agency is charged with managing the election in the state. So they right. do voter registration, they do voting counts, all that stuff. Mm. And what was concerning to him was the timing of these attacks. There's been, he says, 10 separate ones over the course of the last year. First one was on February 2nd, the day after Georgia's voted, voter registration uh, deadline. The next one was days before the SEC primary. Um, another one was in May, the day before the general primary. And then two more took place in November, the day before and the day after the presidential election. Hmm. And basically DHS has said, oh, somebody was cut and pasting data into Excel. And it, you know, when it did that, it copied it as a URL. And then Excel started, you know, trying to follow the URL. And it just sounds like a BS excuse. And like I said, their story kept changing. Hmm. So the only evidence that these hacks have come from anywhere so far, at least in the state of Georgia, was that, you know, they came from DHS, which is shady and telling, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, we're in the realm of, we're in the realm of kind of fantasy here and, and the actual truth of what happened. And, and I would say what people, or a lot of people know actually happened is, um, is obviously not being not being mentioned, not being talked about, uh, and not being given to the people. I mean, it's, the whole point of this hacking business and Russia hacked and all that kind of stuff seems to be very specifically for uh, for the purpose of of influencing the public mind with what are effectively inanities and banal, uh, you know, uh, 
banalities effectively because in terms of the evidence they have they present there's nothing there um and i don't think a lot of people are really believing it but and and I'll, for that reason because it's when something put out by the media is so crass that the average person in the street won't even bite you can i i'm assuming i can be fairly sure or we can be fairly sure that the media themselves or pe- most of the people in the media do not believe it and that Obviously, people in, in intelligence do not believe it. Therefore, they are deliberately, you know, propagating or disseminating a lie for the purposes of kind of overt propaganda. Yeah, um, and that and that what's really happened is is something completely different. What's really going on behind the scenes is is very different. Yeah, Edward Snowden even, um, he released a statement not too long ago saying that if there was a hack against any American infrastructure by Russian sources, the NSA would absolutely have evidence of, you know, where the um, hack originated from and where the data went. And they, right. they can track all that stuff in real time. And they shouldn't have any, I mean, they don't like to release, you know, information to the public because it's just their modus operandi, but they um, definitely would have that information and the programs that they would use to collect that information are um, the public knowledge at this point. So there's no reason not to release the data other right. than for the fact that maybe it doesn't exist. Right. Well, that's the thing that, you know, I mean, again, um, the only hack I know of this year that's associated with Russia is the one where, you know, they, they actually gave themselves Hi, we're from Russia. They gave they, they gave a signature. Fancy bears. No, but fancy bears is, is nonsense but, as well. Fancy bears is are the ones behind supposedly behind the DN the DNC hacked and the Podesta emails, right? And the uh, other ones, uh, and another one is called what's it? It's fancy bear and something else. But fancy bear is like ridiculous as well because that's meant to be a Kremlin operated kind of hacking group, and they're going to call themselves Bear. And, uh, have a word that has bear in it that that exposes them as. As being because bears in Russia, you know, I mean, it's just nonsense. Well, I, I only know fancy bears with hack, hacking into WADA, the World Anti Doping Agency, right. and exposing the fact that every star athlete, right. especially in the US and the UK, has been up to the you right. know, head but, in drugs their why, entire career. But why would that be? Why would that be Russian? And why would a Russian? I mean, if, it may be Russian. It may be a Russian he, hacker who calls calls himself Fancy Bear. But equally so, it could be anybody absolutely. who has an interest sure. in sports sure. and knows that sports is riddled with drug drug dealing or, or drug or doping. And the fact that uh, someone watching that, watching what's going on, and Russia being blamed for everything, just says I that's not you. fair. I, and I, anybody, I, how many hackers are there? I hear you. No, but that's the only time hack, hackers have gone as put. A flag on themselves by saying, by strongly suggesting we are from Russia. There's nothing else like the DNC hack. No clue. Yeah, uh, we have no clue about most of those things because they're uh, especially all the stuff that was given to WikiLeaks because that's given to WikiLeaks, and they don't tell you where it came from. Right. Uh, yeah, and and that's that's the point of all this. That very little, if any, of this dynamite information, whether it's in the world of sports all the way through this hardcore political stuff, is hacked. Yeah. These are leaks. Of course they're leaks, but no one talks about leaks. I mean, the the, the fact that the, the, the idea has never come out right from the very beginning when Podesta and, and uh, <coughs> Podesta's emails were hacked and, and beforehand with Hillary's server and all that kind of stuff. Beforehand, at that time when that happened, not from then until now, 
No mainstream source, no government official in the West has ever used the word leak. Why? It's the first thing you would think of. Emails inside the office of the Democratic National Committee, Podesta, Hillary, and the thousands of people working there, whatever number of people, hundreds of people probably sharing emails. And no one first thinks, what if someone leaked this? Who's the mole? First question. Yeah. Why, why, is that, why was that not allowed from the very beginning? Why is it not being talked about from the very beginning? Because it was, it was immediately taken over by Russia did or Russia did. Because as soon as they realized it was a leak, they said, we've got to blame this on somebody else. So the fact, yeah, and, and, some- as you were saying, Brent, the fact that they don't actually release the information as well. If they have hardcore information, and this is one thing that has gone on like back to 9-11 and, and beforehand and after with the Iraq war and stuff, all of these allegations by uh, uh, intelligence op- uh, operatives, intelligence agencies in the US and in different countries, when it came down to it, they never produced actual evidence. Why? Yeah. Because you don't have any. Is that a reasonable conclusion? Yes. But you're not allowed to say that. And people seem to have a very short memory, too. I mean, I've seen people online and Facebook say how they, you know, trust our intelligence agencies and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, do you not remember WMDs in Iraq? Or yeah. Do you not remember the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which, you know, basically kicked off the Vietnam War and years later was proven to not even have occurred? I have right. Robert McNamara on video saying that we don't, this never happened. And that was the sole justification for starting the Vietnam War. Right. And you know what's interesting as well? We mentioned already about Trump's response to this. These allegations of Russia hacked the Rus- Russian hackers just subverted the, the presidential election. Trump, I think just in the past couple of days, his main point, his only point almost has been it's nonsense. And CIA says it's, says it's real. Well, these are the guys who give us yeah. weapons of mass destruction. Can you imagine any other establishment politician in the US ever making that, casting that slur or bringing that back up? Um, about the CIA, because every establishment poli- politician uh, and who might have got elected to, including Hillary, obviously, who might have got elected uh, to the presidency, are establishment politicians. They're in the whole milieu of respect the organizations and the institutions in which we operate. We've been brought up in it. We're, 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 we're inured in it. You know, we're embedded in it. Mm. And we have to have respect for it. These are, these are our people. And you can never say a bad word about these people, certainly not publicly to the, to the whole world. Trump comes in and he does it. So yeah. the, that fact alone, anybody who cares about the state of the world and the, the, the kind of crimes of, of, of the US that it has covered up consistently uh, for many years, anybody who cares about the truth about those things should be happy that there's someone like, pre- like Trump in the presidency who has the wherewithal, the cojones, the integrity, whatever it is, to allow him to simply point to the elephant in the room when it's necessary to do it, when it's expedient to do it, when it's the truth. I can't imagine anybody else doing that. So anybody who, who should, anybody who cares about the crime, for example, that, that is the, the, the Iraq war and everything that led up to it and everything that happened afterwards, including ISIS, including Syria today, anybody who cares about that and thinks that's a bad thing and knows why it happened and knows that we, the whole world was bullshitted with weapons of mass destruction to get us into a war that cost the lives of thousands of uh, U.S. Uh, servicemen and, and hundreds, or, uh, hundreds of thousands or more of Iraqi civilians. Uh, anybody who cares even a little bit about that should be heartened by the fact that there's a president in the White House right now who has the cojones to turn around and say, oh, by the way, 
the people who led us into these wars, they're bullshit artists. Yeah. Because they bullshitted. And if they're saying something now, we cannot believe everything they say because they may still be bullshit artists. It's not, I mean, that alone is like, it's such a simple thing and you would think it should be said all the time, but it's a breath of, breath of fresh air, mm. for Christ's sake. That, that's a testimony to just how horrible the situation, the lies that we swim in, that a little obvious lie that in any other reality you'd expect would be said by everybody, when it's said by someone like the President of the US, is like, oh my God, did he really say that? That's amazing. He told a simple, basic truth that everybody knows. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Brent, yeah. you got anything? Oh, there's just uh, one more comment. The, the other thing that I found pretty telling about this whole conversation is that everybody is focusing on the, you know, the deflection of Russia did it. Meanwhile, the content of the actual emails is completely ignored, and the content really says a lot. I mean, you have everything from the spirit cooking nonsense to the way that um, the Clinton campaign was, you know, doing all these dirty tricks to kind of push Bernie out of the picture. Um, so left and right, you know, the, the content is being completely ignored as if it's totally irrelevant. Meanwhile, they, they push this whole line that, oh, Russia did it. Russia did it. And it's it's so just like, you know, like, who cares who did it? Who cares? The, the, right. The, exactly. The content reveals the um, motives they're now projecting onto Russia, you know, influencing, hacking, scheming to get their way on something. It's all there in these emails. Yeah. So thanks, guys. I'll, All right. I'll pop okay. off. Brent, thanks a million for calling in. Yeah. Take no care. No problem. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We we'll go to one other call here on the line. Who we got on the line? Caller number two. You're up. Hello. Oh, hang on. I spoke too soon. Hi there. Hey, how you all doing? Can you hear me? We yes. can indeed. Hi. This is Stephen. Hey, Stephen. Welcome back. Just to let you know, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you knew it, but I, I went to Cuba from uh, the 18th of November to the 3rd of December. You did? So, That's where you yeah. were. Yeah, I was in Cuba, and um, I was there for one week. How'd you get in there? Um, it's, it's legal to go there as a, as a, um, if you're going there for research or a journalism or something like that, but not tourism, right? So what were you doing there? Research or uh, journalism? So I, I have uh, well, I, I put, I put, I put the reason for my going as uh, research, and, right? And um, so, anyways, no problem getting into to Cuba. I went there with a guy that's been working with me for three years. He's Cuban. He hasn't. He hasn't seen the same. Stephen, we're losing you a little bit. Yeah, he. My, I went there with my uh, a guy that works with me. And he had not seen his family in eight years, so it was a very beautiful thing to see that. Mm. And um, I've also, you know, I've been a long supporter of, um, I'm an anti-imperialist, so I've been an admirer of uh, Fidel Castro, which my friend does not share those sentiments, by the way. Mm. But um, I went to uh, Revolution, the, the Plaza of the Revolution, and paid my respects to uh, Comandante Castro and... Um, I took photos and it was a, be a beautiful experience. So, uh, but, but yeah, I was, I was going to ask you. Um, you said that the friend you went with was not a was not uh, favorable towards Castro, but he met his family there, who I suppose are Cubans, right? Yes. No. The, the whole and thing is. Um, were, were, were the, well, was the fam were the family pro pro, pro Castro or? 
no, it's it's extremely it's extremely contradictory. Um, I believe that uh, the even people that are that that express anti Castro views, they uh, if you really press them, they do have pride in the anti imperialism um, of Castro, and that that's a Cuban pride, and it's mm. uh, it's very hard to explain. But um, there's a with, with the blockade. Um, there's a reality that that people. You know, they make a dollar a day there, even though there's medical and there's nobody starving, but they they, they want a better life. And um, so this all of these dynamics going on for decades, you know, it 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 it, it makes for a very contradictory situation. Mm, but um, right. most Cubans, most Cubans I met uh, support the revolution. They support um, anti-imperialism. They take pride in that. And um, but people are chafing a bit just because, you know, they they want a better economy and um, and they don't necessarily hate. They don't necessarily hate the government. There is corruption in the government. They don't necessarily hate the government or blame it on it. They understand the larger dynamic of the U.S. blockade. Um, But all I can say about it is that, um, you know, I'm not a Cuban, but I'm an admirer of Fidel Castro. And what he did, you know, speaking up against imperialism and criticizing capitalism and injustice of capitalism, colonialism, oppression. I, I totally respect that. And um, I was very honored um, to have been there when he passed away. So, okay. Oh, so you went and then he died during your stay there? Yes. Oh, yes, hey. Exactly. Wow. And uh, I was in the western part. I was close to Santiago de Cuba with my friend's family uh, for a week. And then I traveled to Havana after Fidel died. I I traveled 12 hours to Havana to be in Havana for the last week. And um, I very much enjoyed my experience. I would recommend um, everybody to go there because if, if we really ever normalize relations with Cuba, that place is going to boom. It's going to economically explode with medical tourism with other types of tourism. Um, the people are very educated, smart people. And um, mm-hmm. it would be a great, it would be a great thing. It'd be a beautiful thing as Trump would say, if he ever did manage to, uh, m- you know, develop more normal economic relations with uh, the Cuban people. Mm. Yeah. But, uh, I wanted to, c- can I make some comments on this uh, brouhaha about what's going on here? Mm-hmm, sure. Um, I, I was very struck by it when um, first we saw Hillary Clinton's speech, um, you know, talking about fake news. And I'm like, wow, that's that's pretty fishy because the whole thing is a propaganda effort um, at something. Right. Then it becomes more clear the strategy of to uh, to rob Trump of the election through this. You know, what's going to happen tomorrow with the Electoral College. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's so vile that even though I didn't vote for Trump, I become, I'm becoming more sympathetic to him. I went to a rally, a Trump rally this last week in Orlando, Florida. Hmm. And he's still having was, rallies. Yes. He's still, he had a, he's engaged in a victory tour. Hmm. Um, so I went to the, I went to the rally. I could not get inside. There were so many people. But I was there more in solidarity with Trump against this chicanery and this corruption by Clinton 
you know, that's why I was there. And um, if they really, you know, part of me really wants them to get away, you know, to do this tomorrow and rob Trump of the election. And my, I know it's kind of a, a, a selfish rationale on my part because that would be that would that would cause incredible mass organization across this country to uh, to rebel against Hillary as the inauthentic uh, false leader. Mm. Yeah, uh, but what are what odds do you give to there being an upset tomorrow in terms of the? I, I give it, you know, I, I, I would I would give it a. Um, 95% chance that everything's going to be normal and Trump is going to get the uh the approved yeah that he he actually legitimately won and they're they're supposed to be faithful and vote as their population voted in mm. each of these states so I give it a, I give it a, you know at least a 90 I I could even say 99 cuz I see it very unlikely because the ruling elites they can't anticipate the massive disruption and destabilization that it would cause to try to install Hillary. Right. There's smoke crack, you know? Yeah. So, um, no, I mean, if they anyway, want... I, wanted, I wanted to make one more comment and I think it's very, very, very interesting. Um, I'm quite disturbed by these. Um, um, I'm, I'm, I've never voted for a Republican uh, ever, but I'm, I'm quite disturbed by these liberal Democrats um, after eight years of Obama, but especially with what's the, the narrative of what's happening in Aleppo, this should be greeted as a massive victory for human liberation and freedom. What's going on in Aleppo? Mm-hmm. But we get the description, oh, Aleppo fell. I mean, it, it mm. amongst the Western media, it's just quite disgusting what they have been, their coverage on Syria, but particularly this this um defeat of these jihadists in aleppo it's just it's quite amazing and you really get to see who like democracy now amy goodman she is in my opinion she's totally a sellout she's a fake um, i have nothing but contempt for democracy now and amy goodman you really um, like her oh I, I just despise her but because she's been pimping uh state department propaganda that distorts what's going on in Syria. And it's, and she, she very rarely ever covers it as a, as a solid block of news that they actually go into depth. Mm. And then she featured the white helmet creeps and she was lauding the white helmets on her program. Mm -hmm. And um, so anyway, just people like her that, that uh, they want to gin up, like they want to gin up hatred. They, they, they sow confusion on, on us imperialism and then they act like they're they're the exception to the rulers. I mean, it is such fake. Um, it's so damn fake that it's it's sad that um, the that so much of the public falls for this crap. Yeah, and especially yeah. when you think of all the people that have lost family members in Syria after six years of being besieged by these uh, mercenary, these uh, externally funded jihadists and creeps that blow up, destroy communities, blow up kids, terrorism. And if we, if we, if people can't even muster the type of critical thinking to investigate and question and try to report honestly on this issue, you are, you are not, you, you shouldn't even be in journalism. 
you're a hack, you're a fake. And Amy Goodman fits that bill perfectly. But so do so much of what what is called the progressive left in the United States. Mm. You see how utterly brain dead a, a, a huge amount of these people are precisely by their position in Syria. Right. Right. Anyway, I, I know I, I kind of went on a rant there, but no. um, such such is my contempt for these people. The the Syrian people, the ones that don't even support Assad, but they all have to unify to defeat these terrorist jihadists that they've been besieged with. Could you imagine wherever you live at, your community being taken over by these thugs? I mean, incredible. Right, and then having to deal with the fact that the... Uh that the, the greatest democracy on earth uh, gives you no support whatsoever and, in fact, supports the creeps. Isn't it amazing? It just, it just blows me away. But um, I just have my antenna especially attuned toward those people that pose as left mm-hmm. and they pose as anti-imperialist. But then, um, like, I'll give you another name, Eric Dreitzer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's, supposed to be, he's, he's supposed to be an anti-imperialist. But um, did he celebrate the liberation of Aleppo? No, no. he's more. No, he didn't. So well, uh, the thing is, Eric's Eric's taking a bit of a turn. You know, Eric's a bit of a kind of diehard Marxist, Trotskyist, Leninist. I don't know what you'd call him, but uh, we had him on the show probably maybe a year and a half ago or something like that, and uh, it was all good then. You know, he had his uh, st- his stop NATO, not stop NATO, his stop imperialism, stop imperialism website, and it was all very good. But then for so- something happened with him with the Trump Hillary thing and he threw his lot in with uh, Hillary and he just I don't know if he ever had it had the the right uh, idea of things but he just if he did he lost and, and I don't know where he's going now you know he's yeah, a very well, smart guy you know but he seems to have lost the plot really yeah yeah and and you know what um and I know I sound a little bit like a conspiracy theorist saying this but he is tied in with counterpunch's uh management right and they feature a guy named Lewis Project, and the guy, he, he calls himself a Marxist, but he is thoroughly imperialist. And they right. feature this guy there for decades, and they, then they want me to donate money to them. And, um, you know, I, I, I kind of suspect that there's Operation Mockingbird that's still going on very strongly by another name. Mm. And um, money is a very huge incentive for people, you know, so mm-hmm. who knows, who knows what's going on. I mean, I know that without clear evidence, I'm kind of talking out of my butt, but it is very weird when somebody like Eric Drates or, you know, like he should be, he should be posting in comments celebrating the liberation of Aleppo, but, um, but he's not, he's, he's, um, he's actually interviewing people from Middle East eye that are describing mm-hmm. this as a, the fall of Aleppo. So um, it's a fairly confusing situation, but um, I really appreciate what you guys do. And mm. um, oh yeah, by the way, I was banned from, uh, I was blocked from Eric Dreitzer's Facebook page wow. because he was, he pinned an essay talking about pro Assad fetishists. Yeah. And I just asked like, please, Eric, name, name names. Who are these pro Assad fetishists that you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he won't name names because he doesn't want to be cornered, right? Yeah. So uh, the problem, pretty... the problem with people like him, Stephen, is that 
you know, they're die, they're fully into the whole kind of uh, Marxism, communism, you know, um, revolution, and you know the 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 uprising, the the power of the proletariat, and that kind of thing. They're just he's read too many books and that, and he's adopted that that ideology, which makes him extremely anti-state, extremely anti anti-state. Basically, he would accuse people of being statists, i.e., anybody who who upholds the the value or the power or the authority of of any state. And any leader, therefore, uh, as being anti, anti, anti the working man type thing, you know. And it's, for him, it's just pure ideology, and and he he indulges himself in that ideology and allows himself not to have to uh, actually apply it in in real world situations. He can just say all states are bad, all, all governments are bad, uh, all leaders are bad. So when he sees people uh, supporting Assad, he he doesn't bother considering the nuances or looking at it from a broad perspective. He only looks at it through the lens of his ideology and uh, that leads him to then criticize people who who support Assad, you know, but it, he's in this rarefied uh, kind of atmosphere where in a privileged position in his own head type of thing where he can make these these judgments but uh, that, that he doesn't obviously consider the the conditions or the, the plight of the people uh, in, in Syria, for example, for, for, for that from that position, he doesn't have to consider their their plight or the fact that tens of thousands of people in eastern Aleppo are now free from this bunch of cutthroats uh, supported by the West who are holding them hostage for four years. He doesn't care about that because he would toss those people aside if they turned around and held up an, a pro-Assad flag because it doesn't fit with his ideology. You know, so he's well, he's. I think that's I think that's very uh, interesting and curious, given that he was actually vehemently pro uh, um, uh, for, uh, against the Brexit. He was mm-hmm. vehemently anti Brexit, right? Right. So, you know, the guy's full of contradictions, but you know, well, that's because, you know, well, well the, the, on the Brexit thing, the reason he and just to explain why, how he thinks about it, the reason he would be anti Brexit would be. Uh, because he would see the Brexit as a consolidation of state power in, you know, isolationism and state power within the UK. And if it if it stays as if the UK stays were to stay as part of the European Union, then the European Union is supposedly this this socialist uh, kind of idea where it's the kind of open society, George Soros, power of the people type of thing. And uh, there's much more chance for for his ideology to take hold in 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 the UK as part of the EU than it is as. Uh, as an isolated country on its own, where the state can consolidate its power. I mean, he has all sorts of ways to to rationalize it, but again, like I said, it comes through this kind of silly ideology that he has. Um, and most ideologies, uh, if they're if they're political uh, and very detailed, they end up being very silly and, and very impractical. Uh, when he, he he's in the grips of that, and none of it makes any sense. When he tries to apply it, or you quest question him on it, he just doesn't want to talk to you because it doesn't make any sense. You know. Yeah, well, like, like I consider myself still on the left in that I, I tend to oppose um, oligarchies and I believe in people power. So I'm a very broadly I'm on the left, but um, I look at any organization, anybody saying something. I'm like, look, um, are you actually in neighborhoods helping people organize, making their lives better? Or are you just opinionating right. and right. throwing stones? And so much of the liberal, progressive, so-called left. They have, they do absolutely nothing to help people, and there and there's a lot of uh, ideologists and intellectuals that collect money, and they do squat to help average people, and then they then they have the nerve to call people racist and fascists and this and that, call names and look down on people as their intellectual inferiors 
because they're not on the same script that they are. I find that I find that repugnant. Yeah. Anyway, hey, thank thank you guys. I listen, I look forward to listening to the rest of y'all's show. All right, thanks for calling, Stephen. Thanks, Steve. Take care. Great talking to you. So, well, just wanted to say it's interesting. Yes. One of the things that Stephen uh, brought up there, if you think about it, how um, you know he sees himself. He's he's been a traditional kind of lefty, kind of on the left, anti-imperialist, and that kind of thing. Uh, but now he's like hating on, and, and I, I fully understand why he's not very happy with democracy now, which is one of the stalwarts of of the left, supposedly traditionally, you know. But now they're basically that they're supporting, uh, you know, the the regime change in, in Syria and the white helmets and all that kind of stuff. Just you know, just following the government line effectively. So, um, and at the same time as that's happening, <clears throat> you have people like um, Bill O'Reilly. John Hannity on Fox News, who have denounced the liberal media for decades uh, and their anti-imperialism, and they're the guys who are now coming out and slowly uh, <laughs> taking a pro-Russian uh, approach because it's a you know a, uh, because it's it's Trump and it's you know Russia's kind of like for Trump supporters Russia's uh, not such a bad thing and what they're doing in Syria is a good thing. So these leftist leftist values anti-imperialist values are being rejected by the anti-imperialist, traditional anti-imperialists like Democracy Now! and supported by the traditional imperialists, effectively, who would have been who are Fox News and Sean Hannity and Bill O'Reilly. Uh, so I can understand why people are very confused and don't know what's going on and don't know they're uh, are, are, you know, having a bit of trouble. Differentiating their arse from their elbow, as you might say, but uh, this politically at this point in time, but um, it's because I, the only answer to that, I think, is that, or the the most obvious answer is that it's all been a lie, to one extent or another. There's been a subtext behind everything that you believed uh, from the, the political left and right and all that kind of stuff. People thought there were different ideologies and different uh, goals, but behind it, there's really only been one. And that one is now coming out and filtering through those two, that left-right paradigm, and being shown as the only one. And people then are having, uh, are scrambling to kind of try and reframe their their leanings in this new reality, where the actual, uh, ver- uh, like, um, a picture of the, the truth behind the scenes is coming out. And you have to quick. It's kind of like a musical chair. Where do I sit now? You know. Yeah. And you find find yourself sitting in the wrong chair that you the, the chair that you traditionally would never have sat in you find yourself sitting in it and it's like how did I get here well I don't know but mm-hmm. and it's, it's no coincidence that Russia is um, in the thick of this confusion um, it, it, in an older time it was easier it was a little simpler Russia stood for one of the ideologies and and the West for the other one but now that Russia is um, functioning in exactly the same way or more or less at least it's taken on many of the attributes of western liberal democracy Mm -hmm. of being pro-capitalist pro-free trade um strong military strong police force you know very kind of um they they got it they made it they they made it to the end of history as fukuyama would have said They, they got it in their head that this is the best and the only way. And now the, the ideologically, you couldn't put a paper between them, mm-hmm. uh, except on mind of things maybe, they have a serious problem <laughs> because they cannot hold Russia up as the sponsor of this other evil ideology anymore. 
they have to hold just it up simply as as Russia, mm-hmm. and that that and it, it it makes no it makes no sense mm-hmm. uh, in itself. They have to always tack on some other reason. Well, it's because Putin's this or that, or uh, uh, between the lines. They, they they come across as probably saying things they don't really mean in a lot of cases, right. um, as being Russophobic uh, of giving it that. Is, well, it's the essence of Russianism in itself. There's something inherently wrong with the Russian people, mm-hmm. and then they come across as freaking genetic racist like Nazis, but mm-hmm. they probably don't mean that either. Mm-hmm. So th- it, it's no, it's no wonder that uh, it's all coming apart. It's all becoming like mm. crazy making when. Russia, just in the act of transforming itself into basically a Western country, yeah. has completely thrown the whole thing into complete confusion. Right. And it's, um, I mean, just on, on the point about um, being, you know, the left-right left right paradigm and, you know, whether you're for or against big government or for or against government or whether you're, you think it should be a, a workers' paradise or something like that. I mean, people don't realize that there is a, a kind of third option, you know, uh, in the sense that there's nothing wrong with a government, with a kind of centralized power, with a strong government, uh, especially in these times in the world where there's a lot of chaos and a lot of competing factions, you know. Um, if you imagine yourself living in a neighborhood uh, where, where families and houses were at war with each other, that family would have to be very, each family would have to be very well structured and would probably have a hierarchy and that kind of stuff in order to operate effectively in a, in a kind of a, a military situation, you know, a, a, a combat situation, if only politically, but also, uh, in this case, you know, physically. Um, so it's, it's, it wouldn't be a good idea then to have um, democracy in that sense where everybody has a say and uh, everybody can fight and argue and, and to the point where you get nothing done type of thing. In certain situations... Uh, there, there's a better, uh, different types of structures are, are more appropriate and better. Uh, but having said all that, there's in a general, in a general sense, there's nothing wrong with a strong kind of government, uh, a hierarchy in that sense. Um, it's even it's natural to human beings, I think, and when human beings organize themselves into into groups and stuff, there usually is some form of hierarchy that that develops. And uh, because people, not everybody's born equal. People have different proclivities, different. Um, Different abilities, uh, but the the fact that in Russia, for example, you have a strong leader in Putin. Uh, well, if you have a strong leader and he's a good, he or she is a good leader, who has the interest of their people at heart, and uh, has a sense of morality and decency, and has a bit of a conscience and that kind of thing, uh, theoretically, there's nothing wrong with that. A country can operate very well under that kind of a system. Um, and that is to some extent obviously Russia isn't perfect and stuff but that's that seems to be the kind of system that Putin and the Russians are attempting to or have have developed over these years and there's nothing wrong with it but of course it it allows uh, for the West to uh, easily fire shots at him as being this kind of dictator you know but in a, in a world where chaos reigns and there's all sorts of attempts by other countries to infiltrate other countries and, and bring them down and subvert them in different ways, you actually need someone who is a mm-hmm. good, strong leader in a position to, to take the decisions. Otherwise, um, divisions and uh, 
chaos effectively in the country can be very easily sown if you don't have someone to knit it together, yeah. to knit a country together under the onslaught or the influences, uh, external influences that are tempting to break the fabric of society apart. How are you going to hold it together, hold, hold a country together under those conditions if you don't have someone that everybody can look to or a government that everybody can look to under the, you know, the caveat that that government is actually doing the right thing and good things for the country and for the people. So it's very specific, and that's where ideologies fall down. You can't have an ideology, a uh, general, broad-scale political ideology, uh, that that you can apply in any set of con- uh, circumstances or conditions. It has to be tailored to the specific conditions uh, in, in which it operates. So let's um, mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the just a little bit about the Aleppo business and highlight some I mean we don't really need to say much about it because I, I presume most people understand really what's going on but um, it is quite shocking to see um, the US and European governments uh, lamenting the fact that Nutjob jihadi uh, terrorists have been defeated in eastern Aleppo. Uh, how do you square that with the war on terror? Well, of course, they say these are nice, moderate, simple rebel folk type of thing, but obviously that doesn't fly <laughs> at all when you look at what is actually happening and what they've done. So, And how do you square Assad being a brutal evil dictator with granting amnesty to about 98% of those fighters who, right. who survived. Um, they are continuing to break. I mean, there are a few pockets, I think. Um, God knows that probably they still have underground tunnels and bunkers and whatever else in the city, which is mostly a giant wasteland, certainly in the eastern part. Um, the The headline, the lead story for The Guardian yesterday was um, you know, kind of a horrible story about how the buses haven't been able to reach civilians who want out mm-hmm. with the suggestion in the story that that's because Assad wouldn't send them the buses and mm-hmm. it was therefore abandoning mm-hmm. them. It was such weak sauce because, yeah. of course, there have been um, some 100,000 100, people have been bussed out of eastern Aleppo in the last week. But then what... For one hour, the buses didn't show up. Be- and it emerged then that the buses didn't show up because they had warning that they were going to be fired on. And when they did show up a little later, and the Guardian, there's none of this context, when the buses did finally show up, they, they were shot at. And I think civilians were killed, were blown up in the buses. Um, so uh, the reality and, and, and the, the narrative are... They have been throughout this war, but they're still extremely contradictory. Mm-hmm. Um, in the real world, Assad is is, is so saintly that a, a Westerner probably couldn't conceive of it. Um, mm-hmm. Granting amnesty to these barbarians, shipping them and their families, most of which they accrued in the course of the years of the war, to other places and agreeing not to kill or arrest or torture them, um, 
being a, this the Syrian government, which is now reduced to you know the rump state about the size of Lebanon, being able to organize with whatever meager resources it has at this point, the mass evacuations of a large urban area and to feed them and to make sure they have enough food uh, over their winter. I mean, it's like they're hit with accusations of being so barbaric, but the reality is so inverted that actually the standards of their their charity, their ability to organize, their ability to successfully wage the war and win now in Aleppo are so high that, I mean, Westerners probably, no one living today has any conception of it. Even American veterans, of course American vets from Iraq would have known that was such a, a bloodbath there, such a mess. Um, you probably have to go back to operations in the Second World War in Europe to find similar stories of success success in the face of just pure horror. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, um, so that's a real story. Well, th- this week, this week we also had on the Aleppo thing. We had um, my favorite person in the world, um, Samantha Power, um, at the UN, uh, doing her usual thing of hand wringing and want to think about the the children and oh the humanity, oh my goodness the humanity. Have you no shame? And accusing Russia and Iran and Syria of not having an ounce of shame and nothing make you feel any shame, blah, blah. And, of course, uh, Vitaly, uh, not Vitaly, is it Vitaly Cherkin? Yeah. The uh, Russian ambassador to the UN responded by saying, what are you talking about? Remember which country you come from and what, you know, what has been done in your name. What Jesus Christ, what are you, Mother Teresa or something? Uh, that's basically what he said to her, which is very appropriate because... Uh, you know, I mean, they've just been throwing these ideas around, like Neil was saying, the implications in, in Western headlines is, you know, it's it's always implied headlines. Headlines imply things, they, and they don't tell the truth in the actual story, but in the story they have to reveal a little bit about what's going on. But the headlines are, are, are have implications attached to them, that they're, they're, they're crafted in such a way that it looks like uh, all the bad things happening in eastern Aleppo are all being done by the Syrian government with the help of the Russians and Iran, of course, is thrown in there as well, um, when in fact <laughs> the details are that they've just basically liberated uh, a big part of uh, our eastern Aleppo, half of half Aleppo, with um, from ISIS, fr- from ISIS, I- remember the from, guys from ISIS jihadi terrorists, and they're being excoriated for this, which is how do you how do you you know square that? But of course. For them, for the U.S., for U.S. Uh, politicians and, and the media and stuff, and Western Europe politicians and media to to be criticizing um, and condemning Syria and Russia for you know this brutality against civilians and stuff, which is of course they're not attacking civilians, they're not attacking their own people, they're not doing the the Saddam's a bad man, the, the Gaddafi bad man, and they're trying to they're using the same script there, you know. Mm. Saddam's a bad man, he kills his own people. Uh, Gaddafi's a bad man, he kills his own people. Assad's a bad man, he's killing his own people. That's all they have. Their main refrain, if you look at it, if you boil it down, it's killing their own people. When that, in all three of those cases, that did, that wasn't happening. Uh, but they used it to justify humanitarian intervention. And this time they can't do the humanitarian intervention into Syria, so all they have is, is, is the propaganda. He's killing his own people, he's killing his own people, he's killing his own people over and over again. As Assad and the Russians and the Iranians uh, are actually helping their own people, 
they're actually liberating their own people from Western-backed terrorists. But for doing that, they're accused of killing their own people. So when you save someone, you're killing them. Uh, which is actually what the US does. The US does the opposite of that. It does what it is, following the psychopathic kind of um, uh, mandate, you accuse people of what you do yourself. The US, uh, when it goes abroad, it claims to be saving people, but it actually ends up killing people. It claimed to be, that claimed that it was going into Iraq to save and free uh, 26 million Iraqis. It killed 1.5 million of them and didn't f- save or, f- or free the rest. Uh, uh, compared to what they had before, it, it's actually worse than that. Is uh, most people, in any sense, realize and know now that uh, Iraq, Libya, uh, or Iraq and Libya, as two notable examples, are much much worse than they were pr- prior to uh, being gifted uh, American freedom and democracy. Mm-hmm. It ruined them. So, um, but what's interesting if you compare what's actually happening. In Aleppo, you have primarily the Syrian army, right? The army of the country is has been involved in attacking foreign, largely foreign terrorists who had besieged a uh, part of the major city of Aleppo. And they have liberated that city. They have defeated the terrorists in their own country with their own army. And they have done it with making all efforts to spare civilian casualties. For that, they're called brutal murderers and mass genocidal maniacs. Yet, like about, what, 12 12 years ago, in 2004, as part of the Iraq invasion, you had a foreign military, the American military, enter into Iraq. And in one case, in the case of Fallujah, the city of Fallujah outside Baghdad, with the some like three or four hundred thousand people in it. A lot of many of whom had left beforehand, but they the Americans attacked Fallujah uh, in in November two thousand four or in late two thousand four. This was an Iraqi city and the Iraqi army had been kind of dismembered and destroyed prior to that. All that was left was the remnants of the Iraqi army and a popular resistance against the invasion by American troops. And they're, they're ensconced or embedded in Fallujah, and the Americans attack it. And they, well, I'll give you a quote from a U.S. Marine sergeant who told Channel 4 News at the time, we'll unleash the dogs of hell. We'll unleash them. They don't even know what's coming. Hell is coming. If there are civilians in there, they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And of course the US went on to kill thousands of civilians in many cases deliberately apparently or recklessly with white phosphorus and all sorts of other things uh, in their own city being defended by people from Fallujah who had taken up arms and and, uh, remnants of the Iraqi military defending against the Americans. The Americans' response to that defense of their national sovereignty was to slaughter as many people as possible and destroy the city. That's what America did. That's America's modus operandi. That's what they did. So then, jump forward again to Aleppo, and you have the Syrian army in their own country fighting against foreign jihadis, backed by the US, and they're condemned for doing so. Whereas in Fallujah, America was 
celebrated for freeing Fallujah from the Iraqi people, mm-hmm. freeing, freeing a city from the from their own people, freeing them to death. Yeah. Right. So the parallels are, you know, so so you can understand how how it operates there. Effectively, the jihadis in eastern Aleppo were the American military. Right? And they were doing the same thing that the Americans did in Fallujah. And in the same way, it's the same script. The Americans, when they attacked, when, when they were in Fallujah killing all those people, they were celebrated for it. When the Americans, i.e. the jihadi US-backed rebels in Aleppo, are in Aleppo killing all those people, they're celebrated from, for it. And anybody who attacks them is, de- is demonized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just the same script. Yeah. Some of the details that are emerging, um, the Syrian army have found large food stores uh, from garrisons, stations where the terrorists fled uh, in recent weeks. And these were food stores either sent by the Syrian government itself, by Russia, or also American stuff was found. Um, So (laughs) the whole thing about, you know, no one cares about the people of Aleppo. Mm -hmm. All year long we've heard it. Well, it turns out that they pumped in food, medical supplies to the city, and but, the terrorists kept it and starved the population. Or it went directly to the. It went from you know it went directly from any aid agencies directly to the yeah. to the to the terrorists because this is an American effectively an American proxy which, army, a, jah- which, a Saudi, Qatari, American. Which French. is the reason why this siege lasted ten months because they mm-hmm. were kept fed, mm-hmm. fed and were very well armed, yeah, and then. Thousands of locals right. die or or malnourished. Hmm. That's that's um, <clears throat> that's one of the sick sick findings and all. This. In the meantime, um, we've had powers response at the UN. Typical. What about this story about the fourteen guy? The fourteen was a fourteen. Suppose yeah. It? Well, there, there'll be a lot of things to. <clears throat> Russia will have rich pickings, I'm sure, to reveal about what was going on in the city. And who's in the there? Coming weeks. Um, there's a report that. Them, the Syrians captured 14 foreign mercenaries, including U.S., Israeli, French, British, Qatari. Foreign NATO operatives, effectively. Yeah. Like as in overseers or uh, controllers or and whatever. They're the advisors, they right. call. Um, I don't know. But it's, the thing is, that kind of stuff would never come out. You know, you can imagine that over the past oh. uh, year and a half of, of, of Russian and Syrian uh, movements in, in, in Syrian army movements in Syria, you can imagine that, uh, and Russian bombing of Syria, you can imagine that quite a number of uh, of U.S. and foreign advisors in the country who are spearheading or who are leading this or directing the, the jihadi advance to different places that they uh, met an untimely end, but you'll never, you'll never know, you'll never hear about it because they are, they're by, defin- by definition, they're there covertly, anonymously, etc. You know? So <clears throat> when a bunch of jihadis are bombed and and go to meet their maker, there's one or two Americans amongst them, and mm-hmm. you never know. Well, at the rate they're trying to round up people alive, um, well, that would be I wouldn't cool, be surprised yeah. if we find... You know, there were reports um, back in 2011 even, certainly in 2012, that um, local Middle Eastern reports, let's say, that uh, here 10, there 15 French Special forces, British special forces have been been arrested, stopped, and so on. Um, this is the early days of this is pre ISIS now. Mm. What were they doing there? But yeah, it, 
we won't hear about it. We would have heard a lot more of it. I mean, the Syrians would have, you know, paraded them in front of TV, but there's some deal-making, some negotiations go on such that their presence is generally, you know, kept quiet by all parties, yeah. including Russia. Well, on Chadrim Happy Liza said that... Uh, <laughs> That they, the Russians, if they get a handle, or the Syrian, well, the Russians, if they get a, a hold of these people or get a hold of information, that kind of dummy information of, of U.S. or Western advisors amongst the rebels, they, and when they ask for them back, if they say, can you release these people, we'll say, well, you can have them back when you prove that we hacked your presidential campaign. <laughs> <laughs> release the information that we prove, that we, we, we hacked your presidential campaign and um, you can have your, your patsies back. Uh yeah. Anyway, I think we're gonna call it uh, call it a night there, folks. Um, we've more or less covered most of, obviously not everything because there's an awful lot more stuff going on, but most of the major major things in broad strokes. Um, I think we're gonna call it a year too. We might call it a year as well. Um, although next you know, Sunday is a next Sunday a holy is, day here in. Well, so it's the 25th of December, and I don't know what you do on the 25th of December, but I, I presume a lot of people will be occupied in one way or another uh, with family things, uh, such as the such as the tradition or the custom on that day of the year. And then the following week is happens the to be day. the 1st of January 2017. And I don't know, I don't want to speak for everybody here, but um, I'm assuming on that day you might, I've been up late the night before, maybe later than usual, uh, commiserating or mourning the state of 2016 <laughs> or celebrating yes. the passing of 2016. Um, but I mean, we're we we're assuming at this point we won't uh, won't be uh, back in the air for another couple of weeks. But um, unless something might intervene, if and above, oh yeah, oh, over and above. Uh, that's assuming anything doesn't. Uh, doesn't happen. Something major doesn't happen that we need to get on the radio for. And we don't exclude the possibility of a, of, of a show not on a Sunday as well. Um, and we can uh, that would be announced on on Net if it happens. So, um, but if that none of that happens, then uh, until then, I suppose there's nothing left but to wish you all a merry Christmas. Yes. Happy holidays, or whatever else you, however else you, whatever other, other terms you use for that kind of thing. Uh, and we will be back in, yeah, in 2017. Nice to beforehand. So thanks to everybody for listening, and thanks to our callers, Brent and Stephen, and to our chatters. We'll. What else, Neil? That's it, I'm afraid. Is that it? Yeah. Another year is over. Well, you might hear from us before the end of the year, but uh, watch this space. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. All right. Have a good holiday, everyone. It's a long goodbye. We wish you a peaceful holiday, and see you on the other side. A happy new year. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs>